Thank you very much indeed. It's a particular pleasure to be here as a speaker at uh, DIJ uh, for many reasons. Uh, one is that uh, I had the great honor to be uh, uh, to do part of my PhD research here at uh, at the institute in '92. Uh, when I was at University of Tokyo and DIJ rescued me when I was sitting between countries and scholarships and everything and uh, thought I had to go somewhere, no money, nothing. And uh, then DIJ came and said, see, this looks okay. Uh, you get a desk, you get some money, go on. And uh, here I am still, <laughs> still in Japan. I've been in and out. Uh, the second reason is I very rarely have, have the opportunity to have an audience that is willing to listen to me for one hour, I was told. This is wonderful. This one? Okay. This is really great because what I do as an economist, the Fujitsu Research Institute is the consulting arm of the Fujitsu Group, which is a major IT provider. And in this sits in the Economic Research Center, which is the think tank of the Fujitsu Group. So usually when I'm allowed to say something, it is about, well, well between 20 seconds and uh, maximum up to 20 minutes. Uh, this is about how long uh, my audience usually lasts. And uh, what I have to do as a job is looking into different topics as fast and as sound as possible and uh, make some sense uh, out of the issues that are really big around and uh, to think about where I could add some value. So right now I'm doing a lot on energy because it's so important uh, for Japan and for Japan's future. I share this with Professor Kulmas, who has also published on Fukushima recently. What I'm doing today is more or less putting together all these different issues I've been working over the last uh, 10, 20 years in and out of Japan and uh, try to present you my view and my bottom line about where I think the country currently is and uh, what future developments might be. So old industry, old country, old industry. Japan is still a manufacturing country. Not a service economy like the U.S. Uh, likes to be. It is also not uh, so much anymore into, well, chips, New TVs, gadgets, it's no Apple, it's old industry, it's car makers, it's chemical industry, some, some pharmaceuticals and so on. The big fear here is hollowing out because the trend goes into services. This is normal for any economy. When you age, you shift from buying one more car and one more TV set to services you need for your health, for your finances and whatever. Uh, the question is, well, Growth needs to come from somewhere. Is it coming from Asia, where Japan is regionally located? Maybe not in terms of the idea of what Japan thinks it is. And finally, where it is going with this industry? Uh, three topics. I will focus on the middle part. The first one is, well, just for the background. Uh, the world is changing extremely fast right now. Is it simply too fast for this country to hold up? Uh, this is where I come in with my talk today, it's about restructuring. And the restructuring is what you have seen over the last 20 years in Japan. It is really about restructuring, restructuring, cost performance, cost performance, cost cutting. This is where the economy and where most businesses is. As a consequence of this two lost, uh, two, the two lost decades, and then challenges, I think we can discuss about this. Uh, I will just so, show you a few slides. Uh, 
I will rush through some of the slides, meaning if you're interested in, in, in something like this, just send me an email later and you get my presentation. You can have a closer look at it. So the, to the spoken word is what counts and also the speed. This is the picture we have been facing from around 2000, 2002. Uh, the major, the mature economies getting down. These are growth rates from 90 on. Growth rates 4.5% uh, for Japan in the long run. These are potential growth rates. So if all is well and in the longer run, how much you can grow or you in the longer run will be growing. This is Japan coming down from the, from the bubble time getting down to around 2000 and then we are here at around uh, zero around 1% in many years uh, below 1% potential growth rate this is what the economy when full employment and so it would usually do if it is beyond that as japan was japan was growing during the last two dec decades around 2% right in real terms but on back of government demand so the gap between this potential and japan actually growing, was this government deficit building up and building up and building up. It came, Japan came from around 50% public, public debt uh, in the early mid-90s, and it went up uh, to 220% today. Add this to the overall potential growth rate we are here. The other countries, the Eurozone, well, somewhere here, this is EU27, this is the Eurozone a little bit be below because it's more mature. This is the U.S., the U.S. during the period had two, well, one bubble here, a lot of bubble here. This is the IT bubble. This is the finance bubble in real terms. And now it really fell off the cliff and came down where the other mature economies are. This goes to 2014 based on IMF forecasts. So everybody is down here. The opposite side of this picture are the emerging countries, in particular China, of course. This is where really growth took off, but not only in Asia. You have to be aware that also Africa was growing on average by around 6-7% from around 2000. So very, very strong growth uh, th throughout emerging countries. Many of the reasons are, well, the Internet, the IT revolution, getting better access to technologies, uh, better education for young people, knowing what's going on and being able to sell it globally. Uh, this is helping tremendously. So... This is where future markets are and where future growth is. When you look at advanced economies by 2014, it will be only 40-50% of worldwide of uh, world growth and of world trade will be in the advanced countries. The rest are emerging countries. This is what I well I will show you only for a minute as well, because here at uh, DIJ you really have the experts on aging and the impact. Uh, this is the workforce, up to 75% usually, and these are growth rates during the periods. Almost 10% for Japan up to the 70s, then it fell and by average 4.3%, it's now 1.2% growth rate. And this goes along with this demographic dividend. When you have many kids... You grow stronger because, well, you invest in your future. Young people getting in, trying new, new things, new technologies, uh, grandmothers buying kits, uh, buying stuff for the kids for a tremendous amount of money you're usually not willing to spend. This is driving an economy. When you level out, growth levels out, and when, this, when you mature, well, this is maturing, and this is when you start to deteriorate in terms of your uh, overall work, uh, work population, then growth goes down. This is Japan. This is Korea. Korea now, here are growth rates of Korea around 7%, now going into 4%, and then leveling out after that. So, And this is 2011, where we are. You see where Korea is. There are 
still a few years of boom coming, and then it's going off. What Japan is not getting tired, because, well, you always want to, when you're in a, in a difficult situation, you really want to show someone, well, point at someone else where problems might arise. And this is China. China, this is, well, you see this huge push and then this steep fall-off. And this is already starting from 2011, 2015. It goes, already goes down, which will definitely deteriorate growth rates uh, in China. The Chinese government knows this. This is why they are pushing so hard to grow as fast as possible and trying to get as many structures as possible uh, implemented and why you cannot bully them, for example, right now into severe energy cutting because they really need to provide this growth for their population and for their future pension benefits. When you look at other countries in Asia like Vietnam, for example, uh, Thailand in part, uh, you will find that the period, Japan had about 25, uh, 25 years of comparatively high growth to build up pension pension assets, pension stock, to live off later. In China, the period is around 22 years. Many countries in Southeast Asia, like Vietnam, will only have between 14 and 16 years where you can expect really strong growth to build this up. This is a very, very difficult situation. So Japan is very comfortable on, from that account. But still, it is not what you know. During this changes, these major changes, what's also happening is that the world is really changing. Uh, these dots, is, this is actually the all-exporting chart from, uh, from here, over here, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, the biggest uh, oil uh, supplier to Japan. And this is where their energy, their oil exports are going. The biggest ones are here in Japan. Then we have something in the U.S., but it's Europe. And I was using just this slide to show you some of the shifts in terms of trade. More than 50% of world trade is now in Asia, of world trade entirely. This is around here. And a lot of this is going flowing through new, new, uh, through new hubs. One of the hubs is Singapore. It's sitting here, growing first at oil and then other energy, and now it is becoming a financial center as well. This is what's going through here is, uh, is oil, is energy demand, but also trade through, uh, to, to, to Europe. Now what's going through this is trade with China and, uh, uh, and Africa on raw materials and some of what China needs to grow. It is really changing the business links and the trade routes tremendously. This is Hong, uh, Hong Kong up here, which is now becoming the financial center of China. It's being built as a financial center of China on an, uh, in, in tremendous rate. This is here Dubai sitting in the middle gaining tremendously what the, when you go there, the infrastructure they are building, just because they are in these trade flows that are going from Africa and from Asia towards Europe is really changing the entire region there. Part of the story is Arabian Spring in this area around here. These shifts have tremendous impact. Turkey, for example, sitting exactly on this axis, going towards, uh, towards east and west, has now some of the strongest growth rates and the, some of the biggest potentials uh, of any country, which is wonderful, but a big, big shift in terms of our view of what Turkey is. And this is how the world changes for Japan. And all this is very important, and it is not easy to deal with because you have new trade partners, you have new business partners. See, this is the traditional market of Japan from 1990, the U.S., to 2007, uh, 2000 is the comparison is actually minus 10%. Uh, these are exports. 
Uh, well, it is basically level to the U.S., but this is not a growth market for Japan. It's not enough. Uh, on the other hand, the all advanced countries only increasing 17%. Well, this is developing Asia plus 230%, and this is 270, uh, 270% emerging countries. It's actually the same chart uh, for Germany, for example. It's just different countries, different partners, but this is basically the... This looks just, okay, well... Where, you sh where you're sending your ship is, doesn't matter. But these are really new business partners, often new products, new ways of selling things, new things of doing things. It changes the entire structure tremendously, and you have to deal with this. Look at this. This is now overseas subsidiaries and their sales, what they produce and what they sell. And this is what I'm talking about, old industry. Manufacturing chemicals, industrial machinery, transport machinery, these are cars. Cars are on the right scale, much higher, of course, than the others, but the growth rates of what they are producing and selling overseas are tremendous. Japan is in many ways not an exporting country. For example, our company... We basically, we don't export anything anymore. We produce overseas. We produce in the locations. This has tremendous impact because you have to deal with completely new structures, and this is not easy to do. When you age in particular, you have a, a problem from two sides. You have to deal with all these new locations, and you have to deal with your existing production networks and facilities with your existing, with your existing employees as well. This is employment in manufacturing, I normalized this to 100 in 1990. This is Japan. Look at that. This is 70. 30% down. 30, 30, 30 percentage points down. Manufacturing employment during, the during a period of, well, 20 years here. 30%. This is a lot. This is a lot. And it's actually, when you compare it, these are the so-called Anglo-Saxon countries. US, UK, Australia, Canada, Holland. You, you see them down here. Basically, in Japan, this is the U.S., the black line, basically following the same, following the same direction and as fast as the U.K. or U.S. in terms of the structural shifts from manufacturing into services. Big change. These, this is Italy and this is Germany. They are holding up. Italy is holding up by doing nothing, uh, which is a big problem. Because, well, then you have to start to, in, uh, to import and so on and so on. Productivity falls. The government has to step in, and from some point you break. And Germany is doing this by exporting. Germany from 2002 to, to, uh, to today pushed its export ratio in GDP from around 30% where it has been to 48% now. 48% of the entire production of a year in Germany goes overseas. This is because, well... You need, if you want to hold this industrial structure with manufacturing, but demand at home shifts into a different direction because, well, I mean, I mean Germans have now three cars, but from some point you simply stop buying this stuff. Japan has stopped buying cars a long time ago. Toyota is trying for seven years in a row now to convince young people to buy cars, and they simply don't. And if they buy a car, they buy a cheap, small, white one where you cannot make any profit on it, and one campaign after the other, yeah, they're trying to say, well, your girlfriend, you don't get a girlfriend if you don't buy a nice car. But this is what 60-year-old uh, managers and, and engineers are thinking. When you talk around in Shibuya, then the girls will tell you it would be so embarrassing if my new guy would show up with a Toyota. I mean, <laughs> he would be really grounded. So all this is not working. It's demand structure is changing. You have to export if you try to keep it. Okay, now, this is the background. 
Now let's start. The last the, the last two decades. And I was thinking and now what I'm doing now is biased. I have been this year so frustrated about the mood in Japan and one kick after the other and falling down and one crisis after the other. Now we got even, we got nuked even and so on and so on. And I was really fed up and I was looking, well, this is, when will this end? I mean, is there a point of return for Japan where it starts to grow again? And uh, is there something I got really... And I was telling basically for 15 years in a row why Japan is growing so slow, why it is not getting on its feet, and all this is aging and so on, all the stories we know. And uh, a convincing story came out of that, but it was a very frustrating story. So my question was, well, is there... Can't this be changed in a way or something? I mean, you could be growing or something when you age. In particular, growth is very important. Uh, Professor Kulmas would argue, well, maybe we do not need growth that much. Maybe we need better quality growth or something. But the problem is also government policy. To finance a government without being able to, 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 uh, to promise growth for that is almost impossible. Japan has not been able to do this to finance government, to increase taxes. You can increase taxes. Distribution has to be changed, pension benefits, and so on. But how do you pay for it? You cannot increase taxes without telling your people you get something for it. Beyond just that someone else gets something for it, which would be redistribution. You need to otherwise, so far, policy that would be able to be effective while not promising any growth or any promising future hasn't been invented. Japan has been trying it, but it was stuck, couldn't increase taxes, so it was increasing just debt and debt and debt, which is easier in the short run, at least. Uh, this is a big problem. Other countries are now simply running in the same problem. It is very worthwhile to study Japan on this account. How is poli policy without growth actually possible? Policy without growth is very, very difficult from a corporate and from a government perspective. So I was looking... What is really at the roots to it? Let's see. Let's get started. We were talking about the side, the overseas demand side, and this is really tremendous. It, it, this is busy, I know. Forget about it. But what it tells you, these are simply growth rates per year. This is GDP growth from 2000, where are we, from 2000, so just 10 years. GDP growth, it averages around 2% in real terms. This is Japan growth. Good years, bad years. Yeah, IT bubble, here we get out of it, and then we fall, fall off, and this is the Lehman shock. We are falling off here again, and then we are recovering. Growth rates can be also on a, on a, on a downtrend, but so far holding up. But this is the important, the important point here. This is exports, the contribution of exports to growth. It is 1%. Half of the entire growth of the Japanese economy in average came from exports, from overseas demand, not domestic demand. This is why everybody thinks about Japan as an exporter, as an international trader, export country. One percent, half of growth comes from export. Actually, in the better years, more. In many years, basically everything came from, from exports. This is the situation we are facing today. What one factor which contributes to growth is also investment. This was falling, it was downtrending throughout the entire period. This is aging, of course, and this is what I will be talking about. Because the amazing thing here is, look at this. This is Japan, these are GDP components. About 60% now is in consumption. 
It was growing because, well, with aging, consumption as a share of GDP was going up compared to investment uh, and export. But this is the exports in GDP. It is around 15%. At the peak, it's 17%. 15% of the Japanese production goes into exports. 15%. Now, back to the slide before. Oops, no, that didn't work. 15% of the economy was producing half of the growth, basically over the last 15 years. 15% of the economy was producing half of the entire growth of the economy. What does this mean for the remaining 85% of the economy? Bugger all. It wasn't moving. Nothing. Now look at that. I mean, a trader, Germany, 48% of GDP goes into exports. And of that, that contributes to half of the growth. I mean, this seems normal, right? It might be wrong policy. The British might be terrified. The Italians might say you change your ways or something. But at least it makes sense. In Japan, 15% of the economy, almost nothing, providing half of the growth is a real problem. This is uh, Korea. The same slide would work for Germany. Exports is uh, 52%, and it provides about half of the growth. Makes sense, yeah? Now look at the domestic economy, and this is, well, overall the picture. You cannot really read it. This is just manufacturing sectors. This is normalized to 100 in 2000 again. Uh, this is the growth of overall final demand goods in Japan. While we had the good years, we had the seven-year expansion after 2002, and it was growing by 10 basis points over the entire period. So 1% throughout the entire period, 1% per year throughout the entire period here, and then it dropped off. This is levels now, not growth rate. Dropped off, and it didn't came back after the Lehman shock, right? It didn't came back. We are down here. So this is final demand good. Some sectors were doing better, cars and so on, because, well, this was overseas demand. Japan can produce and can produce well as long as demand is there. Domestically, no. But the real, the real big one is this one. Uh, these are services. It's about 70% of the economy, so much bigger. The 25% is manufacturing only, the uh, uh, much smaller part. This was basically growing... Zil, nothing. Throughout the entire period, again, levels, nothing. Yeah. Well, 10 base overall and then dropping off and being flat. So more or less nothing. This is basically the entire economy, and this is the problem. This is why all businesses that make money so far have been in these sectors, overseas demand, because the huge domestic economy, 85% of the economy, basically producing no growth, of course, Aging, and this is where we are back. And, well, this is a problem for companies, too, and from the production. When you're a new company, a new venture, you're getting in, and at first, well, you can sell things, but you're not profitable because you have so high costs, you invest, and so on. This is a difficult time. So you need also a push to get going there. If you don't get the funding, it is very, very difficult. But in an emerging country, the demand is there, and then people trust you, and the money people are like, like to save to invest themselves by low wages, getting in, new ideas, growing, and then you start from some point, usually after five to ten years, five years, if you're lucky, uh, you start that, well, sales and profits both are increasing. This is where you're really growing as a company. From that point, 
your products are getting old. Other competitors are coming in with newer, younger ones, with newer ideas, lower costs, and so on. And then your sales start to stagnate, but profits are still very high. In management, if you have been learning things like that, is then this is a cash cow, what you're in. And then you're either lucky to go into new products or new industries at best and growing again on these, or what you usually have to do as well, you have to leave the market either domestically with new products or you go overseas when you see that sales and profits, this is the latest point, your latest exit point, is when sales and profits both decline. This is where Japanese companies are now. Uh, Japan's companies are now, next, for next year, basically all plans are going overseas. M&A at peak levels. When you look at it, I have a slide. This is, I skip this here. I go to this. I have an M&A slide. I know it. I cannot find it. Here. Look at this next year. These are cross-border M&A, numbers of deals. Uh, the U.S., of course, is very big. Uh, it's here on the, on, the, on the left scale, 600 deals. Uh, this is per year. Uh, 200 deals on the other axis. But this is Japan going up, going up, going up. And this is after the lemon shock dropping off. But now we are already beyond that again. Now coming with a real peak. It is really going into this direction. This is overseas investment. The interesting thing is this is Germany in comparison to Japan. Japan is basically at the same level as Germany. And Germany during this period, this is from 2000 again, was in the middle of European restructuring, in the middle of European integration of its market. So in a completely different environment, Japan on its island, where everybody's seeing it so well, so localized or something, is really pushing into this direction simply because they have to. Uh, I come back to this in a second, but first about the two lost decades. These are the stories I was telling and everybody was telling you why it is so slow and so on. Of course, aging, then the companies and so on. But I was really now... In tr trying to get to the root of it. And in the root, the root usually of growth in Asia is investment. Investment in Japan during the growth years, this is 1955, up to 35% of GDP going into, into investment. This is driving the economy, input-driven. This is China. China is now 40% and beyond 40% of investment. This is driving growth during the period. When you're young, when you're seeing the markets are increasing, consumption comes later, you first want to have a career. And this is where the growth rates are extremely high. They are on the right side, about 15%, 10%, beyond 10 percentage point, 15%, growing as much as China or more uh, during this period. Then we had about 75. The problem is with investment, it's also costly. And you need to get, I mean, every investment for every investment you need an opportunity where it can be efficient. From some point, every investment that could be easily profitable is basically done by someone when the market is not growing overall. And then investment becomes, well, still being costly, but not so efficient anymore. And this is the period which started around 75. This is when growth rates were going down. And, well, who is first? Investment or growth? Hard to say. We have, do not really have a clear-cut causation here. It is just growth and investment was going down in Japan. This is the bubble, actually. It looks comparatively small in terms of G, uh, uh, investment, but still, it is around 30% of GDP went into investment during this period, but it was only providing limit and it was going down, going down, going down. And now we are here at around 20%, which is about the level where the U.S. in terms of investment in GDP was all the time.
So basically, from this story, we are now at the, at the long-term level of the U.S. And investment is only up to a certain level efficient. From some level, it is just a waste because you cannot really use it compared to the labor you put in and the technology you have. Germany basically had the same story. The problem is data were on a comparative level. After the reunification only, otherwise it would have been a mess. Uh, I will show you comparative later. later. Basically, Germany on the same trend. And Germany was also the sick man of Europe, basically during the same period. Also restructuring, getting out of industry, investment not efficient, going down, going down, going down. But... This picture is not really providing the entire picture for different reasons. But first of all, again, how important is investment in an economy, actually? In Japan, this is Japan. I have this for the U.S., Germany, whomever as well. 45% of this is the contribution to value added, so to GDP growth, to what you produce per year newly, your new product. 45% of value added comes from investment, non-ICT investment. 20% comes from ICT investment during this period uh, of the last 20, 30 years. 30 years. 20% from ICT investment. ICT investment is only 3%, 3 to 4% of overall investment. But it provides 20% to growth, to, to value added, to new production. ICT is just terribly productive. This is what I was talking about with the emerging countries. These 3% provide really a huge push to your efficiency, what you can do to new markets, new technologies, and how efficient you work. So 65% of growth in Japan comes from investment. Only 15% from labor during this period, and around 20% from total factor productivity. This is basically innovation, what we didn't have. The combination of all this factor together in a smart way, this is innovation and how you do things. Overall, investment is the real driving force of, uh, of, uh, of growth in any case. So the problem you have is when investment falls, and this is just averaging, right? These are the different years, the different components. The story looks the same for most countries. In the U.S., labor is more, uh, has a higher contribution to overall growth, is more productive. This is also because now in services there is more labor, and the, uh, the U.S. companies are much better in, in, well, kicking their people into their asses when there is a crisis and uh, making them more effective with a lot of IT investment when there is a boom. Uh, TFP innovation is basically the same in most countries, uh, ICT as well. This is the core in Japan, is this non-ICT, this just normal standard investment. Okay, now look at it. This is now the comparison, J US, Germany, Japan. The US usually, and this is now in real terms and uh, appropriately uh, de deflated. The problem is with these comparisons is that the, all your products in your GDP uh, have different inflation rates, different cost increasing rates than your capital, which capital goods, which are in your investment. A computer, for example, loses its value much, much faster than the, what is the typical example? Hmm? Hmm? Building, building, yes, construction, for example, or cutting hair or whatever. So we have to be careful when we, when we compare this. Uh, look, this is now 
Gross investment in the U.S. Usually this, well, 17%. Except from 92 when the U.S. decided, because of it, the U.S. had the same problem with restructuring manufacturing, the U.S. government had to get its manufacturing labor force into appropriate employment in one way or the other. The first thing was with the IT bubble going into new technology services and so on. This is when this run its course. This is this investment push. This is the IT bubble. And after that dropped off, panic. And then what do we have? Now we read IT is too small. It's not just 3 4%. At that time, 6% of, the, of GDP. Too small a sector. Now we need something real. Construction. Exactly. Construction. Pushing finance to finance, construction, housing, and so on. This is the housing bubble here. Investment in the U.S. is now at 25%, where usually Germany and Japan are. These are the old industrial countries with very high investment rates. You need very high investment rates when you're doing, when you're a manufacturer, because you need all these machines, buildings, and so on. Well, in services, it is much less. It's more about people here. So the U.S. really turned into this direction, and it's not sustainable. The next graph will show you that the U.S. is not dropping off, and either they find a new rescue scheme, uh, or they will be in the doldrums, as Japan has been for quite a period. The important point for Japan, however, is, and this is, You have one problem, this is gross investment, and this is capital consumption, depreciation. So every computer, every building loses weight over a period. Usually this runs in parallel because, well, this is just accounting, right? You buy a computer, this is gross investment, and then you write it off over a period of five years, and then you buy the new one. So it's just following up. Just the cycle might be, in terms of accounting, a bit different. In Japan, we have a problem with structural, with structural changes. And this is my story of today. Gross investment is still at a very, very high level. So everybody thinks, well, Japan, yeah, well, investment hasn't really changed. But this is capital consumption and depreciation. This was growing continuously. It was squeezing net investment, where you simply subtract the capital consumption. The reason for this is Japan over this period, when you saw, well, this was the graph where it went up for so long and then down, Japan built over the period of high growth up to the 70s a capital stock of completely unproportional dimensions for its later economy. It sits on a huge capital stock. Every company sits on a huge capital stock and it has to deal with it somehow. You can write it off immediately. What do you do, for example, when you're an American airline sitting on a too high capital stock, too high health benefits promises and pension benefits promises? Well, of course, as we just had this week again, you go bankrupt, right? Very easy consumption. Then you keep your accounting in line with what you have to do. You get rid of all this capital consumption, of all this depreciation from one day to the next, and the next day you simply operate on but everything remains more or less in balance. This is not what Jap Japanese companies are doing. Japanese companies are not going bankrupt to simply get rid of their employees or getting rid of their capital stock. And capital stock means they're owners of these machines. You are the owner, but the people who were paying for that, where you got your capital, are getting ripped off during a bankruptcy, right? This is a big problem. Plus, your people who have been working for you for decades are getting ripped off of their pension benefits, of their health benefits as American airline employees. 
Japanese companies are doing this more slowly by rolling over. And this is where the squeeze come in. And net investment was falling below levels anybody has been so far. The reason here is much of the gross investment in Japan simply went into rolling over the capital depreciation to simply get to deal with your capital stock. Meaning, instead of shutting down one department or one factory immediately and getting rid of all these costs, what Japanese companies do is downsize, restructure, putting people at different places, trying to, go, to find a new product line for these people. So the first thing is, well, you have a big copy machine. After writing this off, after five years, you get a smaller copy machine. Then a smaller copy, from some point you don't get a copy machine, then you, need, you know that you really need to find a new job. And uh, this is how it usually works, but it takes a long time. At that time, and the important thing here is, much of this gross investment, although it looks high, went simply into rolling over the existing capital stock into restructuring. What is left for future business, for new businesses, for new growth, is net investment. And that was falling over a period of 20 years. Actually, the same story in Germany. Look at this. Gross investment, same level as Japan, exactly. Depreciation, same level going up. We simply problem have a problem with data. Net investment was falling during this period. So my question was, well, when we know this, how, when and how will it end? Because the moment we get investment growth, what we know now is Japan, well, restructuring, aging, big structural changes. The driving force of the economy in terms of growth is investment. Investment, net investment, new investment was falling over 20 years. So the question is, is there a bottom out? Is the economy simply imploding for some point? And the answer would be, let's see. The answer would be this one. This is, again, now real net investment. What you saw, just purely the net investment line. This is Japan, the red line. Here I had to do estimates because we do not have the appropriate data for this anymore from 2006. These estimates are built on the model of the. This is the US. This is the IT bubble. This is now the finance and ICT bubble. And this is the current drop-off. The US, in terms of net investment, is now at the lowest level it has ever been, which is really depressing the economy so much right now. This is why the US is really in, a, in, a, in panic mode in terms of what to do. This is Germany and Japan. Look at this. During this period of 20 years, basically, same falling level with a few exceptions. The IT bubble had a positive impact on Germany, while actually Japan during the IT bubble still went, went on cutting back on net investment. This is why the IT bubble never had the positive impact it had on uh, Japan and the US. Investment in IT was simply very limited. It was there, but in old businesses, not new businesses, not new ventures. It simply didn't happen at that period. It was falling still. Then we had a small peak off, and it's still continuing to fall. Germany, on the other hand, was bottoming out in 2004. Now recall the, the industrial history of Germany. As we know now, Germany is now the strong man, the strong country in, in, in Europe again. While it had been the sick man for 15, 20 years, as Japan almost. And this is this net investment story. Most of this net investment actually went into ICT. Because companies found new markets overseas in the EU and also overseas emerging countries. They invested for these exports to manage them. They invested into new computers, into new software, new packages. And uh, with that produced tremendous growth. Now, 
unemployment rate in Germany is now falling below, below 7%. This is not my generation anymore. I mean, I left Germany when uh, unemployment was usually around 12%, and one of my old colleagues whom I've been studying is still left in Germany. All the others are in the U.S., in the U.K., in, in wherever, not in Germany anymore, and Greece will do the same, and Italy will do the same. But here it's coming back. So the question is, will Japan bottom out, or is it simply falling, and it is now below, in terms of net investment, below where any country has been so far, any major country. This is why it looks so, so, so depressing. Japan will grow again when this investment comes back. Uh, well, well, we can have a poll on that later, uh, who thinks that it's simply falling. I mean, it can be negative, right? Everything goes overseas. It's possible. I don't, I don't think so, for two reasons, basically. One is, we can disaggregate investment rates, this is investment over GDP, into, well, the investment you're doing, the volume you are doing, the machines you're buying, the money you're putting in, and the efficiency investment, D is the change rate, so the additional product you produce over the additional capital input, so capital efficiency. When we disaggregate, this is again, this is again the overall growth rate. This is the U.S., this is Japan. Growth rate was falling. We had this story for Japan that it was falling during a period when the overall input of investment was falling. This was my story so far. This is now capital efficiency. And what you see is capital efficiency was bottoming out at the end of the 90s already. Capital efficiency means the additional capital you put in, how much additionally does this produce? Or the profit rate. Very simply, this is the profit rate. It was starting to increase here again. Why? Because of a lot of the depreciation, which is more or less poor costs, was already starting to run its course. And it's now leveling out. In the US, we have a similar so Investment was almost stable. The efficiency of capital investment actually went down during the, during the IT bubble because simply so much capital was going into investment, which was not always productive. This is a burst bubble then, and the U.S. is now in trouble with that, tr desperately trying to push the efficiency of the profit rate again. Uh, this is one reason. Effic capital efficiency was already, is already increasing. So nowadays, it, also, it already, at least in terms of profits, it makes sense to invest in Japan. The only problem is, in terms of volumes, you still need to find something in that you could invest because in volume terms where you find a demand. And this is what Japan's companies so far haven't done. They know now how to earn money again, but they still don't know which product. I mean, Toyota selling to young people old cars, no. Overseas so far, it's the first thing to go. The second reason, the second reason uh, I don't have a chart on, I have a chart later, is Japan's companies are now sitting on the highest cash balances ever. The reason is, this depreciation is basically done, writing off the capital stock, while profits are already rolling again, but they are still hesitant to invest because the market still looks stagnant, so you don't know. So you're very careful. What they are doing already is, these are the different sectors. This is all industry, manufacturing, chemicals, electronics, and down here is government, education for services. This is now value-added growth, the additional production in terms of what contributes to this production by sector? The blue part is investment. I already showed you that investment is the biggest contributor, uh, contributor to growth in Japan. 
This is a very high share. It's particularly high in these old industries. They are simply used to invest. This is still gross investment. This is innovation. And this is restructuring, where you're pulling out labor. Over here is labor. Uh, where you're pulling out labor from some sector and putting it into a different sector. This is health, for example. So from chemicals, and here in particular from electronics, partially, uh, the uh, labor is pushing into the service sector. This is still ongoing restructuring, but companies start gradually to invest again. If they do, they produce really outperformance already. This is value-added growth. As averages, this is the, compared to the US, UK, Germany, and Japan. Now look at the old industry in terms of what they produce additionally if they have demand. It is completely outcompeting, basically anybody else. So these old industries, these car makers, these chemical companies, they are really already extremely productive and extremely efficient again. The problem is they still don't have the demand. So what they do first is, well, what they could is they could export the stuff. You have already seen that they are not really doing this. The reason is they come from a country where the cost structure in the old days was extremely high. Because when you're an emerging country, usually you have very high domestic prices. Efficiency is low in the service sector. And during restructuring, government was panicking that so many manufacturing jobs were lost. So the service sector, which is much, much bigger, which is more than twice as big as the manufacturing sector, was kept with a lot of regulations to keep people on the streets just waving you by to keep uh, wholesalers and retailers with a huge workforce in the back office and so on to make everything safe. But basically, this is about uh, keeping people off the streets and uh, out of unemployment. So the service sector was extremely highly regulated, not very productive, not a real, real target of investment, while manufacturing still at high costs was restructuring. So what companies were doing were investing overseas and earning their money from their investments in overseas economy, this is the income balance, the money that flows from abroad into, in terms of in, uh, dividends and interest. I showed you this slide. Now, uh, I know that I'm getting you to the limit of where I can put another slide on top of it. Uh, this is I'm coming to the end of this story, but this is now very interesting because there are two opportunities for Japan. One is the export story or the overseas investment story, which is brilliant because Asia is growing so much. But you need the management for it. Japanese managers, the, the old guys in their 60s, 70s, they are often still very international because they were building up these export industries in the U.S. for Toyota and everybody. The young guys, the managers, now, well, I call them young like me, in their 40s, 50s, well, 50s, something, uh, they are usually, they have been in Japan. What they have been doing over 20 years is managing the depreciation, the cost-cutting, the cost-performance at home. This is what they were doing. They have no clue about how to build up an, an overseas, uh, overseas production plans or anything, how to run this efficiently. And nowadays, they do not even have to do this in, in, in the U.S. or Europe anymore. If you build up something new, you have to do it in China, in India, in uh, Thailand, they already did, in Vietnam, in all these emerging countries. This is really nasty business. It is completely different from Japan. You can get sick there. It is very hard 
working conditions, and so on and so on. So people, and you're not used to it. Most Japanese managers in the 40s, 50s, they have been two days to Guam or something. That's it. So building up their overseas business, not an easy task. The second possibility is following the development of your own country. The own country means the shift from manufacturing demand to services demand. So you go into services in Japan. So far, however, this is capital efficiency. Well, you add it, so the production you have over fixed assets that you buy. This is the, the black line is manufacturing, the blue line is all, over, uh, all economy, and the red line is, uh, is services. See, it's capital efficiency, and this is basically comparable to, uh, to uh, profitability again, again uh, during, well, up to the bubble, still go, growing, 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 then falling off the cliff with all this restructuring that didn't, didn't bring in so much, and it pulled down the overall economy up to 2000. This is where I told you that basically, well, profitability and capital efficiency was starting to grow again. The funny, the interesting thing is that the real export push only came from 2000, 2003. But as you have already seen in this picture with the, with the capital efficiency here, this was already recovering in Japan from the mid-90s much earlier than this big emerging country push came from, and this is back in this slide. This is the service sector, non-manufacturing. Non-manufacturing capital efficiency was increasing already from the mid-90s, or from the late 90s, 2000. This is after Koizumi boom here. Yeah? Some restructuring done in services. So when you invest in services from this period, you find high returns, higher profitability, and opportunities. This is why when you open the newspapers, you still have the old guys that sit in Kedanren being noisy about that we need nuclear or whatever they are talking. All old policy, all old stuff that never will earn any money any anymore. But if you think about anything new or anything where really profits are, this is all services. This is fast retailing, this is uh, Uniqlo, this is wherever where people are going and where new business opportunities, this is soft, uh, soft bank and so on. This is this one here. Since capital efficiency or profits in services are now higher than in manufacturing, and look at this chart. This gives you really the long term. This is 74 again. This is 2010. This is the manufacturing profit rate, so profit over sales. This was always around 4% in manufacturing. This is the last bubble. It went beyond that. It dropped off beyond this long-term level. Trust me on that one or trust this slide. It will be around this 4%. We might be pushed a little bit if we become more American or something. But this is the trend for non-manufacturing for services. It was increasing throughout the entire period from the 70s, and it is now, for the first time in history in Japan, at the same level as manufacturing investment. This means that it now makes sense to invest in services before it didn't. It now it makes sense for industry to push for reform in services, to get them more productive, because so far it was simply a labor pool, leftovers, people waving you buy. Now 
there are new business models, investment in IT, in services, and so on. You become more efficient. This is the second source, where uh, the, 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 sec the second channel where Japan is going. When you look at this, is I will just, you can get it. These are different performance indicators of companies on the in the topics. So Tokyo Stock Exchange, this return on equity, return on assets, return on investment, earning margin, profit margin, this is what economists are using. But when you look at this, I ranked them by a weighted of their profitability, and this is the top in, within the top 100. These are the sectors. How many are in the top 100? Of all this, you will find that consumer services, retailing, software and services are those, in terms of firms, who have the highest numbers of profits within this ranking of all listed companies in Japan. So this is really where the music or growth is in the future. Two possibilities, going overseas with your investment. This is what companies will do first because, uh, because they simply don't trust the, 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 the market. Plus, services are still very, very difficult, highly regulated, and so on. But since the profits are already there, the volume will come. The last point here, is, and this is the cash, the, the, the cash, uh, the cash uh, balances. These are overall sectors. These are surplus and deficits. This is the same story again. This is the 90s when households were using the opposite side in a balance sheet of investment is savings. With investment, savings were going down. This is here the household sector. Corporations running into bubble not believing the structural change, pushing with the investment, getting running into the bubble of the 90s, stretching too much investment, not being efficient, dropping off. And then they had to repair. Usually in a normal economy, the corporate sector is a deficit sector, meaning the savings are coming from the households, transferred by banks, channeled into corporations who invested, so they are deficit sectors, and deficit sector and investing producing growth, while the government you would expect to be more or less balanced in bad years, negative in terms of their financial surplus, in, posit in good years, positive. This is at least what you read in the textbooks and not what governments have been doing. But the change here in Japan is from around 2000 is that the corporate sector became a net saver. A net saver is the opposite of a net investor. So the corporate sector was saving the money they were earning and not investing anymore. It is sitting there. It is put into bank accounts and the banks having no idea what to do because banks usually their job is to channel money from the household sector savings into the corporate sector. This is not working anymore. So what are Japanese banks doing? They are buying government bonds. Well, government to the rescue here. The government is now the deficit sector because this mismatch between financial supply and demand, this mismatch between what companies are doing, investing, producing, and the demands they have for the household sector had was simply covered by the government sector. I said, okay, well, this, everybody gets unemployed if we don't buy the stuff, if we don't invest. So the government was simply doing. And now we are trapped here. The question is who blinks first, in a way. Corporations still don't trust the domestic economy in terms of that they could really make money there. They know, well, if they find something, they could. But they are not finding enough. So they are very careful going overseas first. The government is still covering the gap. But this story will end. You know, this is the, the deficit crisis. Japan, these are public debt going through the roof with this, trying to lean against the wind. This is not working. Uh, 
I will skip all this. We only have one problem now with this story. And I, I told you I'm biased. I wanted to tell you a positive story about the future of Japan and opportunities of Japan. So I started with this research being biased. I wanted to find something positive. I rarely do that. Uh, the story I came up with is convincing to me at least. I think it makes sense. And I think that Japanese companies are starting to invest again, also in Japan. And that as in Germany, growth will start again with that. Just the question where demand is coming from, Asia, emerging countries are a big source of demand in the future. This could work very well. The problem is the government sector and the high level of indebtedness. The government sector would now have to try to get out of the economy again, but demand is so high. This is the public burden. It's still low in Japan. This is now aging society. They need more and more and more. You need more health care. Look at this. This is the poverty ratio. It is so high in Japan, as in the U.S. It's a disaster. Government has to do something. Government has to support people, much more than they're doing today. So they would probably, they need a source of income. Uh, this is education, public education. Uh, it is the lowest in Japan. Now you can say, okay, but private education is much higher, but private education, at least on a personal level, is, is more expensive to these families that are close to poverty. This is really ripping apart your society in the long run. You have assistance to families, one of the lowest uh, birth rates. Assistance to families. Look, there, down there is Japan, here is France, Luxembourg. The country says they overcome these problems. So, so many demands, then Asian integration getting very, very difficult, you, the uh, competition with China building up so many challenges. But still, my main point is, the part that it was holding back Japan over the last 20 years, this implosion of net investment, this is over in my view. Not this year maybe, maybe it takes two or three years to bottom out. But gradually, this will start again. The question is what you make out of it. If you continue to put more and more in the government sector, it's not working. If you continue to not integrate in Asia, where your future demand will, you won't find the, the, the demand for it. So I think the opportunity is here. The question is if Japan is making anything else out of this. And this is where maybe our next frustration starts when we look at current policies and so on. Uh, that would be my story for today.